everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today, our conversation will examine where some recent market trends stand and how they might play out further as investors prepare to soon turn the page on Q1 and look towards the midway point of 2021. Joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, good morning to you. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. Looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So, Jason, quickly reflecting back on last week, I know risk assets, if we looked at Friday, they ended the week on a high note and the conclusion of the first quarter here in 2021, hard to believe, but it is in sight midweek this week. So, Jason, how do you interpret recent price action as U.S. equities close out the first quarter of the year? Well, I think if we want to describe the, the markets for the past few weeks, uh, the best terms would be choppy, kind of sideways moving, or sort of range bound. Uh, there's definitely been a loss of, kind of momentum in terms of the reflation slash recovery trade that has been the kind of the dominant narrative for much of this year uh, in the first quarter. Uh, and you can see that in a variety of ways. You know, the relative performance of value versus growth stocks has been sort of choppy and kind of oscillated from week to week. Same thing for cyclical stocks versus defensives. You know, three of the best, four of the best performing sectors last week, more of a defensive tilt. That's reversing what happened in the prior week. Then if we look at the, the 10-year Treasury yield, you know, after rising a lot in February into early March, in the past two weeks, it's been somewhat range-bound, you know, between like around 1.6, 1.7%. So we've seen, a, you know, a bit of that move in the past uh, you know, week or so. We've also seen some of the, maybe the froth of the markets kind of come out a little bit. Uh, so very kind of growth-oriented stocks. You know, some of the companies that did very, very well last year benefiting from the work at home, uh, you know, the kind of, the, you know, not the reopening trades or the opposite of that. You know, they've done very well. We're actually seeing some of those stocks have sold off quite significantly, and they haven't really yet kind of fully bounced back. And that's also related to, you know, we've seen some weakness in the IPO market and in the SPAC market, which has been incredibly strong throughout the first quarter. You know, a little bit of signs of weakness last week, of both in terms of SPAC price performance, same thing with IPOs, you know, a few deals getting pulled. So some of the frothiness has come out of the market. What we can also see is just sort of in terms of retail investor activity, you know, both on broader data sets, but also just talking to some of our clients, there's been a bit of pullback in their activity, uh, you know, less less active compared to the first couple of months of the year. And then on the institutional investor side, there's definitely some focus on kind of quarter end, you know, some rebalancing, you know, given where the moves are. So it's sort of some focus there. Um, and I think it sort of reflects a little bit of complacency of after, you know, very strong run over the past year and even the strong start of the year. I think a little bit of that's going to reflect in the market action for the past couple of weeks, kind of a lacking a clear direction and narrative, um, you know, after after the start of this year. Jason, thank you for providing us with your interpretation of recent market activity to get things started here. Now, as our listeners might recall, we have spoken about rotation trading here on the podcast over the past few weeks. Though, if we look back to last week in particular, that activity appeared to have leveled off a bit relative to weeks prior. So, Jason, what do you attribute? that to and might we see more rotation trading uh, that meaning growth into cyclicals and value near to medium term well i think if we just you know zoom out a little bit and think you know last week marked the one-year anniversary from when the markets the s&p 500 you know, hit a bottom during you know when the pandemic first began that was march 23rd of 2020 so last tuesday was the one-year anniversary and if we look at the returns from that date up until now across different asset classes in particular equities you know, the returns are spectacular. We're, we're looking at, you know, 60, 70% returns for the S&P 500, 
Uh, for small caps, it was 125%. Uh, you know, emerging markets were around 70 80%. So every equity market was essentially at least 50% higher. Um, there was variation across different sectors, but it's a very strong performance. And a lot of that also you know, took place just in the past you know, four or five months. So as that's happened, I think we have to now acknowledge that we're now probably entering a different stage of, of the recovery and of the market cycle. That typically is sort of like the early stage, the recovery stage, where you've seen some of the, you know, higher risk, you know, lower quality names kind of recover and bounce back very quickly. Now, as we move more into the full kind of expansion stage of this recovery, that typically you get a bit of rotation in the market. I think that's part of where investors are sort of grappling with some of that is, have the things that have done very well, will they continue to do well? You know, where do they want to allocate from here? Uh, and so I think some of that is, is evident what we saw just in the past couple weeks is uh, moving towards some rotation, but also sort of dialing back, you know, just a little bit. Uh, you know, the narrative that would sort of drive the markets for the start of this year in terms of the reflation stimulus uh, kind of reopening, that was really kind of the dominant story into February. Then we had a few weeks of, of then rates kind of catching up, and that was sort of driving the market narrative. Uh, now I think it's more of an open question, sort of you know, where we go from here. To me, I think you know the, we're at the cusp of the clear acceleration of economic growth. Uh, and we expect that's going to you know, play out throughout the second quarter. It, we're going to start to see higher inflation. You know, some of it just kind of year-over-year base effects. Uh, we will get more details of fiscal policy. So I think all that still to me favors a continuation of some of the more cyclical parts of the markets and value sectors still doing doing quite well. But I think given the moves we've seen and given the valuations. You know, the moves and the gains are going to be more modest from this point going forward. I think something for the markets overall, it's kind of below the surface where I think we'll continue to see a bigger sort of relative performance as opposed to the S&P 500 index significantly moving higher term. Jason, another item I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Investors have been captivated recently by the spike in bond yields, though if we look last week, bond yields appear to have cooled off, in particular towards the back end of last week on the heels of several data releases, coupled with commentary from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. So what might drive rates higher, Jason, and do rates have further room to run near to medium term from your vantage point? So I think for the next six to nine months, like through year end, the direction for rates is is higher, especially, you know, at the 10-year, but even more at the, at the more the intermediate part of the curve, like the five-year, we will probably see even a bigger move in that as, as we get closer to the potential at some point down the line of the Fed, you know, raising rates, I think it's going to be more reflected in the five years opposed to the 10-year. But the direction is, is for those rates to go higher. In the very near term, in the next you know, few weeks, a month, uh, it's quite possible that we could see rates pull back a little bit. Um, and so you'd see the curve actually flattened slightly at the, you know, sort of maybe from the, at the 10-year point. Um, now, we've seen the 10-year trade between like 1.6, 1.7%. It's really possible it could drift towards, you know, the 1.5 range uh, as in the next couple of weeks. And part of the reason why is that we saw definitely in the middle of March, you know, some selling. That's probably you know, why the, the 10-year did kind of maybe overshoot a little bit a couple of weeks ago. But at the end of the quarter, we see some kind of rebalancing among large institutional investors, especially Japanese investors who are, who are very active in the market. Once they kind of sell, they might come back and start to buy again into early uh, in early April. So we can actually see some buying in treasuries leading to you know yields going a little bit higher um, or a little bit lower, I should say, in, in the very near term. But again, looking sort of you know through the rest of the year, the direction should be higher. Uh, what's going to drive it ultimately higher is the fact that economic growth will be very strong. Uh, we should get higher inflation, and again, it's incrementally gets us closer towards you know, the Fed, at a minimum, sort of giving guidance in terms of starting tapering what we think will happen next year. But, but I think what the Fed has done reasonably effectively over the past couple of weeks 
is continue to push back against the view that of, of hiking and how soon they will hike. Uh, you know, just last week, you know, Ben Jared Powell gave an interview with NPR where he continued to use language of like, it's going to be a very, very long time before we do things. I think you're starting to see investors start to kind of understand what that means. Be willing to look, to look through inflation as it rises in the near term and uh, to avoid support an economy that, you know, they're very focused on you know, the labor market, getting a broad, inclusive recovery. So I think that's kind of keeping markets uh, on rates kind of moving significantly higher in the near term. After the big move we've seen thus far this year of the, of the 10 year up around 75 basis points, it's now kind of caught up to the improvement in economic growth, the improvement or the expected improvement in terms of the pandemic and the reopening. I think to see now the next big move higher, we actually now just see the actual data get much better than to see the Fed start to change its language a little bit to indicate that at some point, yes, they will start to, to pull back on the accommodation. But that could be at least a few more months before that happens. Just a quick follow-up there. I know in recent history, the Fed has conveyed on a number of occasions that they're not even thinking about thinking of raising rates. Does that sentiment, does that remain intact? That I think very much remains intact. I think it'll continue to use that language for the time being. Uh, I think what what will happen is probably say by June, where that's when they have to give their next update in terms of their economic projections on their dot plot for, for the, the coming years in terms of where different FOMC members think rates will be. That's the next time they'll make an update. And I think that's what investors will be focused on is by then we could have you know, two well, even three very good months of economic activity uh, you know, where we can see job growth of a, of a you know, million plus per month in the second quarter. Inflation we also know is going to rise. If that gives the Fed some comfort that this recovery is on track, do they start to tweak the language? Even dropping sort of very, very, if it's just very, that alone will be interpreted by the market. It's like we're inching a little bit closer to, you know, when the Fed is going to start to put dial back accommodation. I think for the next two to three months until that next meeting in, in June where they make those updates, I think they'll try to be pushed back on any sort of language or any you know, market views that they're going to be moving you know, more aggressively than they've been thus far. Very interesting. Appreciate that added insight, Jason. So looking out over the next few days, I know it will be a holiday-shortened week. Uh, we do have Good Friday this coming Friday. U.S. equity markets, bond markets will be closed, uh, yet we will still be receiving the March jobs report. So I might have given it away, though. What will you be monitoring this week, Jason, in particular? Well, I think it's just more economic data that we're going to start to get by the end of the week for March, which will start to show up this acceleration of growth. Uh, you know, the consensus right now for the March jobs number is around 650,000, uh, which is an uptick from over 400,000 for February. I think, if, you know, if we overshoot that, it's a clear sign of, you know, the, the acceleration of growth that we anticipated is already kind of you know, materializing. On Thursday, we get the ISM number for uh, for March, it's at over a little over 60 right now. The consensus, again, is it's going to be up to over 61. So further signs of kind of reacceleration. We already saw that last week with uh, a data point or a metric that the Fed has constructed. It's the New York Fed Weekly Economic Index. It comes out every week. It surged last week, you know, significantly uh, relative to where it was prior. Because on a year-over-year basis, it's now starting to kind of take into the fact that, you know, we hit the bottom in, in March of last year. So that was sort of, to me, a bit of a preview for the coming surge of economic data. We're going to see some more indications of that this week. The other, I think, you know, key development this week is President Biden is going to give a speech in Pittsburgh uh, where he's expected to outline his plans for the next fiscal package focused on infrastructure. So a lot of attention will be focused on what exactly he says. He's likely to give a little more color and detail as, as opposed to what's already been rumored and speculated right now in terms of the size, you know, the total amount he's going for some of the scope of the programs, 
But I think the key part also, if he gives any indication in terms of the financing, the expectation or the, the belief is that, you know, there'll be both obviously a plan towards infrastructure spending, but also, you know, some higher taxes in different areas, whether it's higher, you know, marginal income tax rates, potentially higher corporate taxes, potentially higher, you know, capital gains taxes. You know, will he give some indication this week of, of what will, what that will entail, how large? So how much of the additional infrastructure spending will be tax financed versus financed through the, you know, the bond markets? The more he emphasizes just the pure spending side and doesn't play up the, the higher taxes, I think to me that's a sign of his focus is really on getting the infrastructure deal through more so than raising taxes. So all sequel that biases towards like probably even more additional fiscal stimulus, which won't kick in until 2022 and beyond. But I think it's going to become a, another key narrative for the market. So this is just more fiscal spending that's going to take place. Good for equities. If there's less talks about taxes, I think it kind of damps down some of the concerns that are growing among investors in terms of higher taxes. I think that's a key thing to watch later this week. You know, the markets could, you know, still read into a lot of it, but I think, you know, the tone and the message that Biden, you know, sends could emphasize what his priorities and what he's really going to push for. And therefore, that's an indication of what kind of fiscal packages could ultimately entail. So it does sound like a very busy week on the macro calendar. Of course, anything can happen out of Washington. So thank you, Jason, for sharing with us some points of interest to keep an eye out for over the next few days. So as we're set to soon embark on a new quarter, and Jason, mindful of your outlook for rates and inflation expectations that you shared with us, how should investors position to take advantage of what is expected to be an ongoing economic recovery over the course? of the second quarter here in 2021? Well, we've seen a bit of a pause, as I mentioned, in terms of this reflation trade over the past couple of weeks. Uh, that could continue this week, you know, given it's a holiday-shortened week. Um, it is quarter end, so there might be investors who don't want to do much around this quarter, uh, the end of this quarter. Even as next week, there could be a bit of a pause. It's also spring break in different parts of the country. So I think it's going to take a couple of weeks before, you know, the narrative kicks in. But as we start to get the data, that really shows the acceleration as we can use the, the reopening of the economy. Um, I think that's going to become sort of the dominant story again in the next you know, couple of months of stronger economic growth. We will see potentially higher inflation. Uh, and then, of course, the focus on the Fed. So the more the Fed can do to sort of push back on, on, on rates, all that going higher, all that I think, so, you know, supports this continued sort of you know, recovery reflation trade. So things that have done well, I think we continue to expect them to do well. Some of the cyclical sectors, you know, such as financial um, energy stocks have pulled back a little bit in the past couple weeks, in part because oil's pulled back, but I think the fundamentals are still favorable for oil. So that should again favor, you know, that sector. Uh, you know, we do think that some of the stuff that's done very well, such as small cap stocks, they can continue to do well. But I think from a portfolio perspective, as investors do look at the end of the quarter where they're allocated, um, small cap has done well. So it might be time to sort of at least trim some of the overweight if that's the case and, and reallocate to some of these other sectors that have did well, but there's sort of more scope for catch-up, such as these kind of value sectors. And also, I think we've seen the bounce back in terms of some of the defensive sectors. So if you have a strong cyclical versus defensive tilt, that's appropriate, but perhaps dial back that a little bit. Um, so it's especially using kind of the quarter end to kind of think about how to be positioned going into the, the rest of the quarter. You know, maybe not having such a strong cyclical bias, if that's been the case thus far. Uh, on the fixed income side, you know, very near term, we could see a bit of pullback in uh, in yield, they could decline a little bit. I think if anything, that's uh, you know, resetting the sort of you know the path going forward, so that we'd expect you know, even a little bit more drift in terms of rates going higher this year. So being conscious of that, uh, things that are sort of longer duration fixed income assets, perhaps at least to, at that point in time, kind of shy away from it. If we do get a more significant pullback in say the ten-year to around 1.5 percent, it's one of the reasons why we like senior loans as a floating instrument, uh, a little bit more protected, you know, against that happening. Uh, 
Uh, and so those are some of the areas where, like, I think other international markets, like emerging markets, which, again, have, have suffered a little bit in recent weeks, partly because of higher rates, also because of, you know, a more significant pullback in China. We still think the fundamental story of the global economy reaccelerating, you know, provides good, you know, sort of momentum, you know, macro momentum for emerging markets. So that's an area that's performed a little bit worse recently. We still think it has good upside in terms of the broader rotation. So that's an area if you haven't allocated think outside of the U.S. where there could be more upside than there is in the U.S. at this point in time. Well, Jason, very helpful and productive conversation to begin what will be a shortened, though busy week ahead. Thank you, as always, Jason, for your guidance on positioning as well, and looking forward to picking back up with the conversation soon. All right. Thank you, Dan, and have a good holiday shortened week. Likewise. Thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate it. And again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO dash disclaimer. 